This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast, brought to you as always by the good folks at Bet Rivers. And remember, for all of your wagering needs, go to the Bet Rivers app. Uh, it's new and improved, and it will continue to improve. They have some uh, new things I know they're working on for the football season that you will like. So go to the Bet Rivers app, and remember, it's Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey. Play Sugar House in uh, Connecticut. Now, I didn't think I was going to. I had no intention to do it. But I watched Hard Knocks last night. It'll probably be the only one I watch. I watched the episode. I have no explanation for why I watched it, but uh, it came on and I said, all right, I'm going to watch it. Uh, You know how against I was uh, for the Jets to do Hard Knocks for a variety of reasons. Uh, It would be far, far more beneficial to the Jets and far better for their development if they located this training camp. They were going to get organically as much attention, if not more, than anybody else in football because of the arrival of Rodgers. They did not need hard knocks. Uh, it was my understanding that the Jets didn't want hard knocks, so they were forced into it. I think the feeling was that hard knocks has fallen off in recent years. The NFL is trying to jumpstart it, and they wanted Aaron Rodgers to do it. Um, which I understand, but the Jets didn't need any more attention in, as they tried this very delicate rise. See, the Jets are trying to rise from nowhere to somewhere very big in one season because of the presence of an all-world quarterback. It can be done, but it's going to almost take pulling to an inside straight to do it. There's not a lot of room for error. And there's a lot of things about the Jets that scare me. I am incredibly uh, happy that Rodgers is here. I want to watch this happen. I want to watch him play uh, in our town. I want to see how this develops. Um, And after watching last night's episode, it just reinforced some things I already think. Number one, I don't think Rodgers has lost anything. I never thought he did. I thought he was in a bad situation last year. He was in a very unhappy situation. And I think he's still at the top of the league as a quarterback and can play at the top of the game. I don't think there's any question. Can play with the best that the NFL has to offer, which is Mahomes and Burrow and Allen and guys like that. So I don't think there's any question about that. The question is, can he lift everybody around him? And can he 
be in a team that can offer him what he needs to be successful in terms of game planning, in terms of overall coaching. And they went out of their way in this episode to try and reinforce that Hackett is not the awful, terrible, disastrous coach that Sean Payton painted him to be. Now, what Sean did was wrong. Sean's the first to admit that. Sean has a habit of shooting his mouth off. He shot it off. He shouldn't have. He was wrong. He's been criticized. Rogers went after him. A lot of people went after him. The bottom line was everything he said about Hackett was true. They were a train wreck last year, Denver. They were as badly coached as any team we've seen come down the pike in decades, maybe more. He was completely overmatched at the job. So we know the relationship he shares with Rodgers. And that is very important and probably more important than anything an offensive coordinator could bring because let's be honest, Rodgers is going to be the offensive coordinator. He's going to run what he wants to run. He's going to do things the way he wants to do it. He has tremendous latitude. He is very much in the position that Peyton Manning was in late in his career. He's like a coach. He is a coach in essence. And he's far better at running and teaching that offense than the coaches are. Am I worried about Hackett? Yes. Am I worried about the head coach? Yes. Am I worried about the rest of the staff? Yes. The Jet coaching staff has shown me nothing. They have to get better and better in a hurry because they are going to be a circled game on everybody's schedule. They're not sneaking up on anybody. This is not, oh, the Jets, who cares, you know. This is now a big game on everybody's schedule. And that includes the teams in the division. We're saying, oh, yeah, you think you're just going to ascend and take this division away from us? That's what they're saying in Buffalo. That's what they're saying in Miami. That's what they're saying even in New England. And the Jets have to prove they can do that. They don't have a foundation. They're not launching from where Buffalo is. They're not launching from where Cincinnati is. Those teams are on the brink of being championship teams. They've earned that. They're not even launching from where Miami is. They're trying to come from way back and go to the top of the class because they have an all-time quarterback now. And you've heard me say before, and it's something I'm sure you'll hear parroted a lot this year, the Jets the biggest transition at quarterback that any team has ever had in the history of the NFL in one season. They went from nothing at the position to an all-time great at the position. And Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks who has ever lived. And physically, he, when you deal with movement, 
ability in the pocket and accuracy, he is as good as anybody who has ever played the position. That's a fact. Has he won enough in his career to suit some people? No. But he has won a lot of games. He's only won one Super Bowl. I wouldn't call that a blemish. We know there's plenty of great quarterbacks who never won any Super Bowls. Wonderful, talented, brilliant quarterbacks who never won any Super Bowls. That doesn't come as a knock. But he hasn't been at his best, nor has his team in the postseason. This Jet team has a lot of talent. A few positions scare me. Number one, the offensive line. I like their skill, people. I like their defense. I'm a little worried about their defensive line. A little worried, but not a lot. I'm a lot more worried about the offensive line. In terms of cohesiveness, in terms of stability, in terms of depth. Because it has to be there if this is going to work. If that offensive line doesn't work, Rodgers won't work. Not to the level you want him to be. Not to where you want this offense to be. You saw a lot of stuff that the Jets were doing last night that's, you know, prototypical Rodgers stuff. Jets have to get back to having their other players do the basics. Do what they can do and let Rodgers do what he can do. Not people trying to copy what Rodgers does, because that can't be done. And it's foolhardy to go down that road. And like I said, this first episode was about trying to sell you that the Jets are fine in terms of the play, position coaches, coordinators, and the head coach. And let's be honest, this group has no resume. They've proved nothing. And they have to be much, much better. And let's be honest, there is as much pressure on Rodgers as you can possibly have, not only because he came to the big city, not only because you keep seeing glimpses of the Super Bowl trophy and Joe Namath. And those should be dropped right now because you know what? The Jets have to show first that they can play from a level from which they can make a big run. But that means they have to prove they can be a division champion first. If you can't play on that level, you're not getting to the next level. See, they're trying to jump levels here. And that's difficult to do. It's possible in the NFL. It's definitely possible when you add a superstar player at the quarterback position. But it is difficult to do. And Rodgers will have to lift players and coaches to a level they don't even understand yet to do it for this thing to actually take flight.
And again, hard knocks is nothing more than another distraction that you don't need. The Jets don't need distractions. They have a lot of work to do in a short amount of time. And don't think that it's a little different when you walk into a building and Aaron Rodgers is there. It makes you a target. And the Jets are not accustomed to being a target. It's a whole different existence. And I'm not sure that they're young players. And that includes Sauce Gardner, who you know how high I was last year. I told you I thought he was the best player in the draft. He'd had a great season. But no one needs to be talking about the Hall of Fame with him in year two. Let him get better first. Let him win some playoff games first. The Jets are trying to ascend to a level that they don't even know exists. Their quarterback does. But to transmit that and to lift the team at that level that quickly is very difficult. And again, nobody in this league will carry the responsibility that Rodgers will carry as a player this year because he will be asked to do so much on so many levels to lead, to teach, and then also do the things he needs to do to be the player he has always been. Emails when we come back. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. That's where you send your emails. You know, one thing I wanted to mention from the last podcast, which just shows you that I've told you that I read them cold so that it's spontaneous. Someone emailed me, and the last thing was about the last boy, and I said, I, I don't know the book. I, it didn't ring a bell. I, you know, I don't always remember the titles of books. That was the last Mantle book that Jane wrote. I interviewed Jane about the book. I've read the book, okay? But I didn't remember that it was called The Last Boy. You know, sometimes you forget. You know, you know it's a, uh, a Jane Levy, Mickey Mantle book, but you don't remember what the name of the book is. So I didn't remember it was The Last Boy. You know, she wrote one about Ruth, but if you ask me what the name of the book was, I don't know. I think it's The Big Fella or something like that. But, I, you know, a lot of times you don't remember the title. You know, it's a, you know the author, you know the content, you know who the book's about, but you don't remember what the title of the book was. So I didn't remember it was The Last Boy. Uh, yes, I read that book. I didn't love it. I liked it. I thought it was Sandy Kovacs book was better. Um, I just didn't now as a man person who has, you know, I'm not the normal person reading a Mantle book because, you know, Mantle has been a topic of mine for my whole life. So, uh, like I said, I, I liked it. I didn't love it. Uh, now to the emails. Uh, first one, I always appreciated that Mike and the Mayor was a family-friendly show in a period that many shows were not. Was that something you planned or did it just happen? Uh, no, it didn't just happen. Dog and I very much 
did not believe in scatological humor. We didn't do TNA. We didn't do sexual innuendo. Those are the easy roads to ratings, okay? If you do certain things, people will pay attention. Sex sells. There's no question about it. You talk girls, you know, 20-year-old guys are going to listen. You talk sex, they're going to listen, okay? That's not what we did. We talk sports. We were harsh sometimes. We yelled a lot. We fought a lot. We got on people a lot, but it was always about sports. It was never personal, and it was never, ever about anything but sports. We talk sports. Um, We didn't do guy talk. We did sports talk. A lot of guys did guy talk. A lot of guys believed that was the road to success. We proved you could do it with sports talk. Um, Mark asks, if Hal were to clean house this offseason and then call you to ask what your top choices would be for GM and manager, what names would you give them? Um, there's so many different philosophies. Okay, there's, you have to get a balance in the front office about how you want to approach this. I think Hal's a big part of the issue here. See, I think Hal wants to do it inside a very, very, for the Yankees, rigid budget. And the Yankees have never been on a real budget. Now they're kind of on a budget. And that's something that's very new. And so ownership approach has changed. Um, Like many, I think the Yankees need new blood. Listen, I've always liked Cashman. Cashman has a resume, but... He's been at the job too long. I agree with that theory. Uh, they need some new faces. The Yankees just need some new guys. There's plenty of guys you could put in the job. I'm not going to start ticking off guys here, especially when guys still have jobs. But uh, if the Yankees do make those moves, I'll have thoughts about who should be stepping in. But those jobs still belong to Cashman and Boone. And right now, I think it's as much an ownership issue as it is anything else. Uh, Matt, can you make a case that Aaron Judge could become this generation's Don Mattingly? Um, In terms of not getting a ring, I guess you could, yes. Uh, If that is going to happen, you know, there's two great Yankees who should have been part of uh, the glory days and weren't. Donnie's one and another one was Mel Stottlemyre. Uh, Stottlemyre did play in the World Series as a rookie. The Yankees lost that World Series in seven to the Cardinals in 64. Mel was a big reason they got there. He came up in August and went nine and three the rest of the way um, and pitched in the World Series. Uh, Never pitched in the World Series again and should have been a generational pitcher. Um, If that's what you mean, I mean, listen, Aaron Judge is even a better player than Mattingly, and that's saying a lot. So... I mean, his high is even higher than Donnie. So, I mean, that, Donnie was a great player, the best player in the league at times. And judges already proved that he can do that. He's been the best player in baseball at times. Brian, I also love spending time at Saratoga during the meet. I always are looking for activities up there on Mondays and Tuesdays. Uh, what is one thing you would recommend to do up there besides the track? I'd go to Lake George. You could go up there. It's a beautiful lake. It's one of the cleanest lakes in America. It's a great 
town. Um, it's nice for a day, and you can rent a boat for a couple hours and go out and you know by yourself with your family on the boat. Um, it's a very big lake. It's a very clean lake. Uh, you can swim in that lake. Uh, it's uh, it's a very nice resort. It's a big resort, but it's a, you could do that. That's a, that's a good one. Um, uh, Monday and Tuesday, I hate what they've done there. I was a big believer in racing on Monday and being off Tuesday and Wednesday. I think it makes a big difference. I think it changes the way people view weekends. Now people, a lot of them, leave after the fifth race on Sunday, and they don't come back to Wednesday. When you had Monday, Monday was a very popular day at the track. There's a lot of people who work weekends and love Monday at the track. I loved Mondays at the track, so I hate that they uh, do it that way. I've always been argued Tuesday and Wednesday. And let me reiterate one thing, because I've heard a lot of debate since the tragic Maple Leaf mail accident. Um, I've heard a lot of people make comments of the sport should be shut down, um, cruelty to animals, all this different stuff. As someone who has been around it for a long time, as someone who has been an owner for a very long time and has put time and money into this uh, sport. And I've gotten a lot out of the sport. Um, the bottom line is this. This is the way I can explain it to you. And it might need not, you might not agree with it, but this is the way I would explain it. First of all, the care and the affection and the respect that people have for the animals goes without stating. I mean, they are treated so well. They are loved. They are respected. They are nurtured. Um, they become part of your family, but they also, they also are treated so well by the people at the bonds. I mean, there's no way around that. It's, it's a fact. These animals are raised to run. They're born to run. Okay, that's what they, that's, that's, that's what they are. Um, they're not workhorses. They're not show horses. They're athletes. They're runners. Just like you would see a downhill racer have a catastrophic accident or a race car driver crash into a fiery ball on the wall of uh, a racetrack in auto racing. You might not understand that, but these people take an inherent risk. It's what they believe in, it's what they love, and they know there's risks involved. Same thing in the sport of horse racing. Now, the horse doesn't have a say in the matter, but the horse has an existence because he is born to run. In essence, that's what he's brought into this world to do. And unfortunately, you have very talented, athletic animals who are traveling at a high speed, up to 40 miles an hour. For a mile, they're the fastest animal on this planet. Whatever you would think is the fastest animal 
stop, from a stop to a start, whether it would be a puma or a cheetah, whatever it would be, I'm not sure which one would be, it would be overtaken by the thoroughbred racehorse within 100 yards. And then for a mile, it would leave it in the dust. A human runs a mile in three minutes and 49 or 50 seconds now. I don't know what the world record is at the moment. Um, a racehorse can run a mile in a minute and 30 seconds. That is a very, very fast time. Faster than anything on this planet. And they carry upwards of sometimes 1,200 pounds on these very spindly constructed legs. So it isn't that Mel was sent out there and she had an injury. She didn't have an injury. She was nurtured. She was trained to be ready for that race. She trained weeks upon weeks for that race. She was as perfectly honed. If she had anything, if she had a blemish, she would have been scratched. And it'll wait in another race. That's how valuable she is. That's how special she was. She was steps away from her sixth and biggest victory yet as she went up the ladder. She started as a New York bread. She went to open company. She went into graded stakes, and now she was going to win a grade one, and she was winning it with authority. She was going to be a three-length winner on the wire. She was 20 feet from the wire. And she took a bad step, and her leg just exploded. This, and it was catastrophic. They would have done everything. That horse was worth, at that moment, maybe as much as three or four million as a broodmare. They would have done anything they could to save that horse, but they knew that she was suffering, and they knew that it was a catastrophic injury, so she had to be put down immediately so that she didn't suffer. That was the most important thing to that vet and to those people was that the horse did not suffer. Horses cannot come back from some leg injuries because they need to be able to stand. They're very, they have a very delicate constitution. Racehorses, very delicate. And it's as awful as, and as horrific as anything you will ever see. You have 45,000 people gasp when that happens. But Unfortunately, and we hope it you know, doesn't happen again for many years. It happened to Ruffian once, one of the great, if not the greatest, Philly ever. And they outlawed the match races because of it. They took precaution. They take every precaution. They try to do anything they can to make their racing safer. And they try to catch people as they've just caught a couple and put them in jail, put two trainers in jail for four to five years for putting drugs in their horses. We hope they get every one of them that does. But unfortunately, it is the ugly part of our sport. And 
I understand that if you can't wrap your arms around that, I really do. But it's unfortunately a risk that we know exists, and that's why you always, every day, hope your horse is healthy and safe, and every trip is safe uh, because there is danger in the sport, there's no question. But it's a beautiful sport, and uh, special in a lot of ways. Uh, Joe asks, Mike, you've always been an advocate for fair treatment of fans as a season ticket holder for the Mets for 12 years. Do you think Cohen owes us more than a nice letter? I now have two months of tickets that I paid for, and literally nobody wants to go. Yes, I do. I think there should be, listen, it's part of the business. Your teams are not always going to win. And if you buy season tickets, you understand that there's times when you can't give them away in a given season. There are charities that will take your tickets. I know that because I've had season tickets and seasons. I, had, I was a season ticket holder at times for the Mets. I was a season ticket holder for many years for the Yankees. I do think they should lower prices, and I do think they should think of things they can do for their fans who buy season tickets, and I think he's smart enough to come up with a couple. Rick, all the sports talk radio shows everywhere have moved towards being a comedy hour more than talking sports. What happened? What's the answer for someone who just wants to listen to sports? I hear this more than I hear anything else. There are a lot of young hosts who have been influenced by some success from certain people, namely Howard Stern. Don Imus first, but then Howard Stern. Many of the Many, many, many of the people in the radio business were influenced by Stern because of his, you know, unbridled success. And there's a lot of program directors and a lot of people who make those decisions who believe that scatological humor, sexual innuendo, and comedy is the way to go. I think that if you're a real sports talk host, okay, you don't have to go down that road. You can be entertaining. You can be compelling. You can be passionate. You can be knowledgeable. You can offer takes that people care about. I did it for going on now 40 years. I never went down that road ever. And I never had trouble getting an audience. If you have the ability to do that, you can do that. So it can be done. But a lot of people sell a lot of people short that they can't do it. And they're right. Some of them can't. Some of them won't garner an audience unless they go down that road. But you're right. They become too much about, listen, Imus did bits. Imus told stories and vignettes and stuff like that. And it worked because they were a talented group of guys who knew what they were doing. They wrote funny stuff. They made, they had great ability to do voices and you had a professional comedian and Rob Bartlett as part of the show. And Imus was funny. So the bottom line was that was what they did. But not everybody has that ability and a lot of people who think they have that ability don't. 
So it leads to a lot of lousy shows. And I hear that more from fans than anything. They want sports. Hey, I'm sure there's still people out there doing dog does sports. When I do podcasts, I still do sports. 90% of the time, I might move, we might do movie reviews or something that bothers us or politics. But for the most part, we're doing sports. Charlie, would you trade Alonzo or would you build around him? I would seriously listen to offers. I know there have been some problems in that room, is all I'm going to say. I'm not going to blame it all on Alonzo by any stretch. But I think Pete's been part of it. I think a lot of people have been part of it. The chemistry in that room has been bad, dating back to last year, more so this year. We've all heard the rumblings. I'm not going to get specific because, you know what, there's no reason to. But the Mets have to change the chemistry in that room dramatically. And... It might take one of the guys that you think is part of the nucleus going, but he has to go for the right deal. So I would not say I wouldn't trade Pete, but it would have to be a very special deal for me to give up a guy who I think is going to hit 35 home runs for a bunch more years. For Maybe 35 is light. That might be a bad year. Somewhere between 35 and 45 and knock in 100 runs every year. But relationships and chemistry in that room have to change. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.